In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, we discussed the three disciplines of Lent that are laid out for us by our Lord in Matthew chapter 6. Those disciplines are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And as a part of that discussion, we discussed a little bit the question of why. Why are these disciplines important for the life of a Christian? And we said that these disciplines of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting are, of course, not for us to earn God's favor, but rather these disciplines are to teach us in our sinful flesh to learn to cling to the treasure of salvation that we have been given so that way it is not lost. It is as our Lord said in Wednesday's gospel text that we must lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven rather than laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. In today's gospel text, though, we see a deeper reason why spiritual discipline is necessary. We see not just in our gospel text for today, but in fact, all of the propers for this morning working together, we see that all of the Christian life is spiritual warfare. It is not just the world and our sinful flesh that seeks to lead us into sin, but the devil is very real. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. All of the Christian life is spiritual warfare. Therefore, we must be diligent to train ourselves to place our trust in the one who guards and protects us from the evil one. And so we see that as it was with our first parents in Eden, so too in our gospel text does Satan show up to tempt our Lord. And the devil tempts him to sin by breaking his fast and succumbing to fleshly desire. He tempts our Lord to sin by placing a misguided faith in the Lord. And finally, Satan tempts our Lord to sin by giving in to the desire for glory through ease. Of course, as we know, our Lord overcomes Satan's temptations by his faithfulness and by his trust in God's word. So let us consider these temptations a little bit more. In the first temptation, that pesky Christian discipline that we might prefer to ignore shows up again. Fasting. And this is essentially the temptation. Break your fast because spiritual disciplines don't matter. Just give in to the desires of the flesh because the things of this world are the only thing that's important. How often does Satan use this same technique on us? He so often uses seemingly insignificant choices to give in to fleshly desire to tempt us into sin because these seemingly insignificant choices to give into fleshly desire so often have potentially far-reaching consequences. 
consider food, which was the source of Satan's first temptation of our Lord, as it was the source of his temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. We know, Scripture is very clear, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yet, so often we are tempted to live like and to come to believe that we do live by bread alone. So often we are tempted to believe that we must dine on fine foods all of the time. We've worked hard. We deserve it. After all, it's not that big of a deal. Similarly with rest, we know that true rest is found in God and in his word alone. And yet so often we are tempted to search for true rest on the pillow, in front of the television, or on the device. We're tempted to believe that relaxing is the same thing as rest when it is not. Something similar could be said of many other areas, wealth, intimacy, pleasure, the list goes on. But our Lord teaches us that God provides that which is greater than the pleasures of this world. Satan's temptations are a lie. In the second temptation, Satan approaches our Lord and tempts him by twisting Scripture in order to try to convince Jesus to believe a lie about God, and in so doing, he would become convinced to have a false sense of security and a false sense of trust in his Father. And interestingly, to do this, the devil actually takes up the very words of Scripture in his own mouth. But in so doing, he miscites the passage. Allow me to read the devil's words, and then compare that with the actual text of Psalm 91 that he is supposedly citing. We read, Then the devil took our Lord Jesus Christ up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. If you follow along with that in your Bible, you will see that there is a break in the citation. That is because the devil is leaving a crucial part out. Here is what Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 actually say. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Notice the key words that are omitted to keep you in all your ways. By omitting those words, it is as if Satan is saying to our Lord, just do whatever you want. Whatever you do, God will send his holy angels to protect and keep you safe. But it is the way that Christ has been given 
which is a part of the Lord's will for him. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. The way of Christ, the way that he was anointed and baptized into just a few verses earlier than this, is the way of obedience unto death, even death upon the cross. And it is our Lord's going to the cross that fulfills another part of Psalm 91 that the devil conveniently seemed to forget about. Consider verse 13, which immediately follows the citation of the devil. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Satan seems to either purposefully or not omit this prophecy of his own destruction. See, it is because of Christ's going to the cross that this prophecy of the lion and serpent being destroyed comes true. For Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. He is the ancient serpent or the dragon of revelation who has deceived humanity from the very beginning. And yet, in going to the cross, in suffering and dying for the sins of all men, and in rising again on Easter, our Lord Jesus tramples the ancient serpent that is the devil and Satan under his feet. This is the truth of God's word. And yet, Satan's technique of twisting the scripture so that that truth becomes distorted to us is something that he has used from the very beginning. Did God really say? Is God actually trustworthy? Does God actually care about you? Are the words written down in that Bible of yours actually trustworthy as the word of God? This technique of twisting God's word has borne much fruit in our day, let alone in all of human history. It has borne much fruit in our day through many so-called Christians who pick and choose what they want to believe about the Bible through historical criticism, gospel reductionism, or just outright polytheistic heresy. But our Lord teaches us that if God's word is not our regular food and sustenance, if we do not know it, if we do not study it deeply, then we can and will be deceived. If we cling to God's word, we can see how Satan's temptations are a lie. The third temptation is where Satan offers to give our Lord exactly what he came for. Our Lord Jesus came for dominion, to win back this world and all men from sin, death, and the devil unto himself, so that he might restore us all to God the Father. This is what Christ came for, and this is exactly what Satan offers to give him. All he's got to do is take the easy way out. 
Satan won't put up a fight. Just bow down and worship me and I will give you all that you came for with ease. How often does he use this same technique with us? He tries to convince us of the lie that you can achieve intimacy and pleasure without the sacrifice and work of relationships. Just go to that website. You can achieve security and happiness apart from God. Just work hard, trust in yourself, and amass some wealth. He tempts us to believe that we can achieve confidence and contentment apart from hard work and discipline by just putting others down and in so doing, building ourselves up. But our Lord teaches us that glory through ease is nothing but defeat. Satan's temptations are a lie. See, through all of these seemingly minor choices and decisions in our lives, spiritual warfare is being waged. Satan is after you. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. He desires your eternal damnation. But take heart, my friends, because the battle is not yours alone. See, it is not your job to defeat Satan. Christ has done that for you. In the wilderness and at the cross. And he has promised that when he comes back on the last day, Christ our Lord will throw down Satan once and for all into the burning lake of fire for all of eternity. It is Christ's job to defeat Satan, not yours. What is your job, however, is to keep the faith to trust in God, to cling to Christ's word and promises. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. This is why Martin Luther teaches us in his small catechism to pray daily, let your holy angel be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. My friend, spiritual warfare is real. We must take it seriously. But we must also remember with confidence that Christ has defeated Satan. Christ sends his angels to protect you with the one hand and to pursue and attack the devil with the other. The words of Psalm 34 are true. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. So, my friends, be sober-minded and be disciplined so that you do not receive the grace of God in vain. But at the same time, take heart. The Lord and his holy angels fight for you. For the Lord has said concerning you, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.
The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.